sometimes when I look at the sheer scale of gospel work that has to be done in Dublin, I get a bit discouraged. And even though there are indicators of growth, it can still feel gospel work here in Dublin that it's small and slow. Opposition, massive. Obstacles, perhaps even growing. And the question we might be asking in Dublin is how will all the work get done? How's it going to get done? Well, now let's watch this second half, um, the second half of the book of Ezra, with Ezra that we saw last week bursting on scene in chapter 7. Let's watch as God's definitive answer to that question, how will the work get done? We'll watch as it's answered in the day of Ezra. Because here's how. By the sovereign, powerful, far-reaching hand of the Lord, that's how the work's going to get done. By the sovereign, powerful, far-reaching hand of the Lord, underwriting every significant decision and provision so that Ezra can get to work. And what's that work? Well, remember, it's the work of pointing people to God's word, helping them understand his laws, living his ways. That's what the work is. And now, remember Ezra's task. It was huge. The temple worship, first half of Ezra, had been restored. There was a temple. Worship is going on in Jerusalem. But how would the people of God live by the word of God? I've much to learn about living with a renewed biblical trust in God, don't you? Well, today God, by his word, is inviting us to something. He's inviting us to a renewed trust in God, in his provision, and that, as we'll see, will be accompanied by a renewed trust, maybe even a determination to live a life of allegiance to God, anchored once again in his word, confident in his son, the Lord Jesus. That's what's at stake as we listen. There's renewal at stake. And that's what's been asked of us as we study this chapter. Renewed trust, renewed determination to live a life of allegiance. Perhaps recasting anchors into God's word where they've drifted off it. And then that renewed confidence in Christ. There's the invitation. Now it's a lot to take in, but it's God's word that will help us as we get there. So here's the first thing I want you to look with me at. Look at Ezra's mission that Ian read for us. Ezra's mission is underwritten by God's sovereign hand at work. It's quite incredible. Remember verse 10, of course, before we, we dip into the rest of the chapter. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And then from verse 11, it's the Lord who seems to open those doors that seemed impossibly sealed shut. It's quite amazing as this opens up. Now, we shouldn't be surprised. The writer's flagged this, hasn't he? Look at verse 6, back in verse 6 of chapter 7. Because he explained already that the king granted Ezra all that he asked for the hand of the Lord. There's that phrase that's going to come up again and again. For the hand of the Lord, verse 6. The hand of the Lord his God was on him. And so here is that hand at work to enable Ezra. Verse 11, look how he's described. The scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. The Lord's hand will allow Ezra to return to Jerusalem 
to teach the law of the Lord to his people. Now, we've seen letters before in Ezra, but this one is truly astonishing. It gives a lot of detail about Ezra's mission. Did you notice that you could have as much salt as you wanted? No limits on the salt, just so you know. Except dads, you shouldn't put as much on as you probably do already. Okay, limits on salt. But there's a lot of detail here, but let's pick up on a few of them. Importantly, and here's the big picture here in in chapter 7. Notice that Ezra has the king of Persia's full backing. That's quite extraordinary. It shouldn't just wash over us. This is a secular king who has nothing to do with God's people, and yet he's given Ezra his full backing. Here's a couple of things. Ezra is actually being sent by that king. Look at verse 14. And he can bring with him any one of those exiled people living out of Israel, and he can return with them to Jerusalem. In other words, the visas have been sent in and approved by the authorities that matter. But what's the main aim of this mission? Like, why this letter? Why this mission in the first place? Well, that's set out in the rest of verse 14. Have a look. Ezra's mission was to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. To make inquiries according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. In other words, to find out whether people are following God's laws or not and then setting about to teach them and what that law says and to live it. Now, then you have verses 15 to 17 here. You see, Ezra's also going to have the work of transporting items to the temple that would ensure proper worship, proper temple practices and sacrifices, and that's really important. But as the rest of this book of Ezra will show us, the main mission was still all about the law and whether the people were just doing religious rituals or actually following what God said. In other words, when you think of Ezra, did the people's allegiance, that allegiance to the Lord, did it go beyond doing religious things in a rebuilt temple? Did they deeply know and do the Lord's word or simply make postures and empty religious gestures? Well, those are searching questions in any era, aren't they? Well, we're going to find in the rest of the book of Ezra that they really needed his work. They needed to hear God's word taught, see it applied, and lived out. Now, here's what I think we should find remarkable in chapter 7. All of this mission is being authorized, decreed is the word used here, by the king of Persia. It's a reform movement that's been described, a reform movement among God's people. Now, did you notice that little phrase right at the start of the section? Look at verse 12. Who's writing this decree? Well, apparently it's the king of kings. That's some description for the king of Persia, isn't it? Artaxerxes, verse 12. And yet, astonishingly, we can see that all of this is underwritten by a much higher power than the so-called king of kings the God of heaven, who gave his law to his people, and is now providing one of his best teachers, Ezra, to call them to obey his word. It's astonishing, isn't it? It's the sovereign, the king of the so-called king of kings, who's the one providentially making his decree and opening doors for restoration in Jerusalem, using the king of Persia. And all that opening the way for this 
teacher. So amazingly, it's, it's the king of the king of kings who's making the decree. Don't miss that. And you see, remarkable too, as well as this decree by the king of the king of kings, look how the provision floodgates just spring wide open here. Provision after provision after provision. Look at verse 18. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. In other words, take it and do with it. You have this at your disposal. Look at verse 20. Whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it. How? Out of the king's treasury. Provision after provision. Look at verse 21. You see, all the local financial controllers, they're going to give generous financial backing as well. Verse 24, there's going to be tax exemptions for temple workers. Provision after provision after provision. It's clear who's in charge. It's the king of the king of kings. From the sovereign hand of the Lord to bring about his purposes. Now, don't miss this. You see specifically here what's going on as we've seen. What is the Lord's purpose? Well, it's getting Ezra to Jerusalem to teach his laws and inspire his people or a form movement among those people. That's what God's purpose is here. And you know, far too often, this perspective of God's sovereign hand on, on leaders of the world or power brokers that be or finances, it gets a bit blurred in our sights. Like what we said at the start, the visor gets covered over. How can God be in control when that is happening? Our sights get blurred very, very often. And if you think about it, that's all the more reason why each one of us needs to open the Bible like this. It's all the more reason why we need to be Ezra-like with hearts set on God's word. Because as we study it like this, we're getting a glimpse of something. As we study it in groups and as individuals, by ourselves, it's as if the visor gets cleared and wiped. The filter gets changed. And then suddenly and stunningly we see it the most illuminating of views. God is on the move. God's purposes. God's sovereign hand at work. We need to look up and see God is still working. And then allow something else. You see, if that is the view, as we look at the Bible, God is sovereignly in control. We've seen that here in Scripture. We've seen it in Ezra 7. If that is true, that should inspire us to that renewed trust we spoke about at the start that renewed determination to be the ones that swear allegiance to Christ, the ones that cast our anchor once again into his word and have confidence in Christ, if that's our vision. Because just remember, and this is our Bibles open again, remember where God's sovereign hand gave his most abundant provision? Where in scripture does God give us the most? That's at the cross powerfully providing forgiveness that you couldn't earn, powerfully defeating enemies who were just too strong, powerfully overcoming evil and darkness that were too bleak, powerfully restoring people who were too sinful to self-save, that's you and me, powerfully bringing people out of blind slavery to sin and under a good new master. That's God's powerful provision in Christ. 
powerfully at work in the lives of Christians, one day and one battle at a time. So as you read and study Ezra, and as we do that now today, his mission, it should spark that longing for God's ultimate rescue. You see, that's what God's about. He's providing by his sovereign hand the resources, the leaders, the teaching, the direction, the vision back to his word. And seeing again that it was in his sovereign hand that directed not just Ezra to Jerusalem, but Christ. That's where Christ went. And sometimes the gospels break off halfway through and Jesus sets his sights on Jerusalem to do what the Lord had set for him to do, to do the Lord's work. That sovereign, all-providing hand of the Lord. How's the work going to get done? By the sovereign hand of the Lord. I want you to just to take a look inside your own life. That's the big picture. How will the work in Dublin get done by God's sovereign hand? But look inside just for a moment. Look at your deepest thoughts. Look at the painful circumstances going on around you. You'll feel pangs that things are just not right. And when you're wondering, how will the work of restoring this personal mess ever get done? Well, I want you to see the, the word of God revealing the powerful, providential provision of God using servants like Ezra and then sending the ultimate rescuer, Christ. God's sovereign hand is on your shoulder too. From the affairs of state, yes, to the events of your life. Think about your life. How did you hear the gospel? How are you sitting here listening to it in a room in Black Rock? The Lord's sovereign hand on your life. And how will all the restoration get done? In Christ, that's how. That's God's answer. So come and trust him. Come and renew your trust in him, your allegiance, your anchor to his word, your confidence, not in yourself, but in Christ this summer. So there we've seen it. Ezra's mission. That also points us to Christ's mission. But did you pick up on those last couple of verses in chapter 7? You see, here we have Ezra's reflections. And for the first time in this book, it, it suddenly breaks into the first person. We get Ezra's personal take. Look at those last two verses of chapter 7 where we see um, Ezra's reflections. Look from verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and to extend it to me, Ezra, steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. Did you see it? As Ezra speaks for the first time in this book, he says, blessed be God. Reflecting on what's happened, he can't but conclude that God deserves praise. Praise God. Blessed be God. It might be the king's heart, but it's the Lord's hand that directed it. That's God's mighty hand at work. And the Lord's hand that stretched out to Ezra, even using a pagan king, but stretched out to Ezra in his love. And Ezra's response, well, what does he do? He simply marvels. He recognizes it, and he praises God. And then look what Ezra says. Look at the rest of verse 28 here. He says, I took courage, and there's that phrase again, 
For the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. See, God's sovereign hand is at work, providing him with the courage too to do the work. God not only worked in the heart of a secular king, he provided, he provided, and he provided all those provisions, all that the mission needed, and then he gave Ezra, his servant, courage to do the work. Isn't that something else? We take it for granted that Ezra had all this, but even Ezra can see here, well, no, even the courage that I had to go and do this mission came from God's sovereign hand. And so as we look at Ezra, the forerunner um, of Jesus to Jerusalem, we learn that courage needed for God's work in your life, in our homes, in our workplaces, in Dublin, God's going to be the one who provides it. God will provide us the courage. God will provide us the courageous leadership for that gospel work in Dublin. And, and there's something about knowing that God is sovereign that should make our prayers for that work more fervent. It should personally allow each one of us to speak up for Christ and allow that to raise in volume and frequency in our lives, our hearts tuned to his mission through us. Would you let that work take place in your life this summer? Volume up, opportunities up to share what God is doing. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. You see, as Ezra reflects, he also sees that God has provided these companions for the mission too. He's provided him with courage and companions, and he praises God for each thing. Look what God has given, even leaders to go with him, leaders for the work. How will all the restoration work get done? I looked at my garden just this morning, and it looks so shabby. And I was thinking about the restoration work that needs done there. Maybe our lives, maybe gospel work sometimes feels small and shabby and unkempt. But Ezra shows us yet again, who will do it? Well, the sovereign Lord will underwrite every part of it, providing everything. Not least someone who will call his people to set their lives apart and to be reformed under God's powerful word. And then ultimately, providing his son, the Lord Jesus. So, so what if we're just a hundred or so people among thousands in this city? So what? God is powerfully at work. And no more so when we don't just do religion and go through the motions and go to church and study the Bible, but actually set our hearts on it. Actually allow it to reform us as we obey it and then share it as widely as we can with courage and companions that he's given us every single time. Now, I can't always see what the Lord will do with that, but I've seen enough of God's hand in history to know that he has put all of his resources at this one. He can be trusted, and so he deserves my allegiance. He deserves my life and my worship. What about you? Well, let's take just a moment to pray. Father, thank you for your hand in history. Thank you for how you show us, even in the work of Ezra, that Old Testament teacher 
getting back to Jerusalem, taking courage in your work. Thank you that you've shown us in him that you're the one that underwrites everything. Father, you're the one that in history sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And would there be a stirring in our hearts this summer that we would see that this is your work that you've called us to. There is work to be done. And we don't look to our own resources or our own numbers. We look to the ones you will open up and provide for us. And Father, we ask you boldly to provide them. Provide the resources for a reform movement in Dublin. One that starts in every single heart in this room of people set apart for your work, obeying your word, hearing your call, tuning out every other allegiance, bar yours, bar Christ, setting apart every other call in our lives and time, except your word, being your people. And then would you help us to praise you as we do it, to praise you together for the work that you're doing through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.